we all have moments where we feel insecure. Without awareness, those moments of insecurity shape so much of our lives. Hi, I'm Chris McAllister, and I founded SightShift to help people like you and me, leaders and coaches, use the moments they feel insecure to transform their identity, their teams, and their culture. Listen in as I interview people around what it means to be the kind of leader who uses these moments to transform themselves. All right, friends, welcome, welcome. So glad you're here to introduce to you my friend, Mark Stansberry of Stansberry Weaver. Mark, glad you're here today, buddy. Thanks for having me, Chris. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. It's going to be fun. So Mark is the CEO of his law firm and has been leading that for, I know you and I worked together in 2015, so at least that long. What was the time frame before that? It's fuzzy in my brain now. Well, so John Weaver and I met and partnered up in 2015. Before that, I was a sole practitioner, so I was on my own since 2011. July 2011, started on my own and, you know, did that for a few years, met John, and they were like, hey, we kind of think a lot alike. We should do this together. So we partnered up, which is about when we met you. Been growing it ever since. John transitioned out of the business about a year ago. So one of our clients made him a great offer, and it was too good to pass up. So he's very glad he took that. It, you know, it was a great move for him. So he transitioned out. Ryan Schick transitioned in as a new partner, yeah. and we're continuing to grow. We've kept the Stansbury Weaver name. I think it has a nice ring to it. I'm still a little bit involved, you know. So technically, that makes sense too. But uh, good for you guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a ride. That's awesome. Well, you know, I think what's so fun for me is to say to you, especially it's so rare, you know, I've never had the negative stereotype that people do with attorneys. You know, they do the same with like, we're not life coaches, we're leadership coaches, but people still, you know, get a little poo session on that sometimes. And I just mad props to what I've seen you guys do transition the model, make changes as the industry changed, because I don't think what people appreciate, and this will be great because we're all comparing as leaders when our insecurities and thinking, oh, they have it so good, right? People that aren't in your industry don't understand how much attorneys are being displaced and the model is being shifted with technology. Take us a little bit into the pain of that, what it means to be in your world. Yeah, it's a revolutionary time. You know, this is an industry that is Traditional, to say the least, conservative and slow moving. And it makes sense. You know, the advice we give is based on statutes, most of which are long standing, and based on precedent from prior court opinions and that sort of thing. So that bleeds into just the way the industry works. But just like every other industry, it's being hit by technology and by changes in communication and that sort of thing. So it has been upended quite a bit. Now, there's still a lot of traditional law firms, but you know, they're a lot of them are suffering unless they have a very strong niche or some position. If they're just sort of a generic firm, it's really hard now since competition is global. On the higher end, a lot of high end legal services have been taken over by accounting firms, and the law firms have just kind of let that happen without trying to get into new areas. On the lower end, technology has displaced a lot of what lawyers do, even inside the profession. A lot of the things that gave bigger firms moats, like having file, literal file cabinets full of prior deal precedents, 
now is not all that valuable because there are great template libraries that lawyers can subscribe to and get annotated templates with all sorts of materials to help understand. And, and that's helped us a lot. That's helped me in my career punch way above my weight class because you know even when I was a sole practitioner, I was able to use a lot of the tools that were previously not available to anyone except the largest and most elite firms. And so I was able to get those resources and bring myself up to speed and help people on deals. And as a result, our firm, which is you know about 10 people now, is able to compete with and do deals against collaboratively, you know, but do deals with the largest firms in the world. So you know, that's changed quite a bit. And the traditional model is based on, or has been based on hourly billing for over 50 years now. And when technology comes in and makes things much more efficient, that suddenly presents a challenge. When you're billing hourly, you know, and your clients want you to use technology that's more efficient, you don't have any strong incentive to do that because the faster you are, the less you get paid and you're paying for the software. So that's been, and continues to rile up the industry. There's a lot of moves toward alternative billing, but we can get into this a little more if you want our particular model. But the way we've approached that is we use a flat fee model and we've changed the way we engage with our clients. So we do a subscription monthly and our engagements are much more open-ended. They're not metered at all. We're not tracking time. We're not pinging clients every time they contact us. And as a result, we've been able to change the model quite a bit from, you know, this isn't your parents or your grandparents' law firm. We're now able to have Slack channels set up with our clients and have regular Zoom calls. And our clients want to get on calls or, or meetings with us because we can check in and they know they're not going to get hit with a bill every time they do it. It's a lot harder to say, let's do a standing call. And every time, by the way, we're going to hit you with another bill. Well, maybe let's not have a standing call and let's just call when there's an emergency. We're able to get ahead of a lot of things as a result. And, and uh, I think it's great for the industry. I think our model is going to be catching on, starting to see some green shoots here and there, but really no one's doing it other than us and you know, a couple firms around the world, really. Wow. I'm so inspired by that because I remember when we caught up a while back and you were sharing with the pivot and the shift in that model, you know, the adaptability that you guys have taken on as a team. And, and I think for me, the reason why I wanted to really start here is because the juxtaposition is there in people's minds of like, well, it's, it's attorneys and it's cushy and, you know, it's like, no, we're all facing battles. We're all facing personal battles. We're all facing battles in our leadership and we're all facing battles in our industry. And what does it look like to disrupt models and, and to become more effective in the pressures? And just really powerful to hear how you guys have done that. And, and I've been able to hear, you know, about your real heart to help and serve, which is so cool. I want to get to your life and story in a second, but one more question on just the attorney world to help people step into that and feel it. You told me this back in 2015, you had told me that you were required to do substance abuse training as attorney every so often, every couple of years, if I remember correctly, something like that. And and I was just like, wow, man, nobody gets the challenge of this role when that's required. So correct me on that. Tell us a little bit about why that happens. No, that's right. Yeah. So as part of lawyers have continuing education requirements. And part of that is professionalism element, which includes substance abuse training, because it's become such a problem in the industry. For the longest time, it was overlooked, you know, just like it was in society at large. But it's 
such a chronic problem for lawyers facing stress and overwork and exhaustion to resort to substances, whether that substance helps get through the day and work, or more likely substances to numb the pain and get themselves to sleep and so on. So a lot of alcohol abuse and you know the results that you'd expect, high suicide rates in the industry and a lot of burnout, that kind of thing, families destroyed, et cetera. It's a grind, yeah. I mean, it's definitely not a cushy country club type job. And for most lawyers, it hasn't been for quite a long time. You know, even successful lawyers, like a lot of lawyers who aren't familiar with, or law students who aren't familiar with the industry go to law school and think, well, I'm going to come out and I'm going to work like crazy and basically give up my life for a decade, but then I'm going to become partner. It's going to get easier. And that's not at all the case. You know, it's like, I say the, the partnership track is like a pie eating contest and the prize is more pie. Like you get to the end and just like, okay, you made partner. Now it's time to double down and work just as hard, work twice as hard and put some money in. And now you need to be bringing in more business and so on. So all that leads to a lot of burnout. And like I said, you're competing with accounting firms that are taking a lot of business. The industry as a whole is, is getting picked apart in certain ways like that technology and clients that are more self-reliant, that kind of thing. So that really leads to a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. Uh, it's something we're definitely very cognizant of at our firm and trying to fight against. It's hard, but that's part of the reason we don't have an hourly billing model is because we don't want to fall back on that as a sole metric, which most firms do for all of their people. This is the one metric is how many hours have you billed, which just means you have to work and work and work. It's not the quality of your work. It's not your relationships or how great of a teammate you are or you know, how quickly are you delivering work products, et cetera. It's just, are you billing hours? And that leads to a ton of stress. Yeah. When I started coaching full time, it changes the math in your head. Cause I was like, it's costing me how much to do this trail run. <laughs> right. Right. You start, right. you can't help it. Yeah. So it's crazy. Well, so, you know, but ultimately what our bet is, is that people aren't hiring lawyers for the time they're hiring for answers and insights. And so, you know, to go out on a run, and be able to think things through in a better way. You know, I mean, I think it's the science is pretty clear on that. If you're exercising, you're thinking more clearly and so on. So getting out, able to uh, put ideas together and come up with solutions for clients and come back and say, you know, I was on a run, but I came up with this idea. Here's the answer. As opposed to I was just sitting at my computer staring at a timer. I didn't come up with as good of an idea, but I put in the time for you. So hope you're happy with that. Dude, so well-framed, so well-framed. I feel like you've put us in the world that so many people think they know and they absolutely do not know. It's it's the opposite, like you said, this cushy country club thing. So really, really just mad respect for the vulnerability. Um, as you look at like kind of the business or personally, wherever your mind goes, where do you feel right now you've got some momentum and there's some winning and where do you feel like you're challenged and you're trying to improve something? Yeah, I feel like, everything all the time for both of those you know it's yeah I, you're wired up that way i know <laughs> everything that we do at the firm we could be doing better and i feel like that in my personal life too we could be doing better now it doesn't mean we're failing at it but there's always yeah. room for improvement on everything you know where we are doing well is we've rolled out this entirely new model we've innovated a lot around it it's driven a lot more changes than I even anticipated at the outset in terms of 
like suddenly efficiency really does matter a lot more. We're working with a fixed pool money coming in from a client every month. And so we need to be efficient. We need to be moving the ball forward for clients and we need to be keeping clients updated and, and they're more receptive to that because they're paying. So, you know, there it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm hearing from my lawyer, that means I'm gonna get whacked for another bill. It means I'm hearing and that's good because that means things are moving forward. So we're doing a good job of innovating around that and coming up with new solutions. Everything we're doing is either invented from scratch or quite often taken from some other industry. There's like a lot of software tools that are great for software developers or designers or whatever, and we're able to co-opt a lot of those to help. And we're doing great there. The places where we have the biggest challenges, I'd say, are for me personally, all around leadership and just leading the team. The biggest thing that I've been focused on recently is accountability, just holding the team accountable. Personally, I don't like being held accountable. I'm not a great employee. I'm a better entrepreneur than an employee. <laughs> you know, whatever that's saying, but I never liked bosses micromanaging me, and I sort of equate that with accountability. I know they're not the same thing, but in my mind, that's a struggle of thinking. If I hold these people accountable, then I'm just being a nag. I'm just I'm micromanaging. I'm being obnoxious when I should just be able to let them run, uh, and that's been a challenge that I've had for years. Is just trying to get over that and get better at that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for just sharing that because I think that's something so many people can relate to especially I think the people that would be listening to this podcast the people that I've tended to coach are entrepreneurial and, and putting themselves out there and visionary and what we do is we think everybody experiences life like we do and so yeah. we experience it like yeah entrepreneurially imaginatively uh, inspired in a way of we'll put all these things together and I see this a lot of times when I sit with CEOs and they're like and I'll say, show me your org chart and they'll show me something so inventive that I know their team has to be confused because regular brains appreciate boxes and holding them accountable to the boxes makes them feel good because they know they're doing a good job where for us, it's like, don't put box on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I feel that way. Yeah. Quite a bit. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, I know you are like a really passionate learner reader, obviously you're saying, yeah, I can improve everything. What's something recently that you've read that you're just really stirred by? It caused you to get really inspired or think differently about something. Oh man. Look at my stack. This is my stack of books that I'm in the middle of, or is not yet started. Um, I got through the pandemic. I was just buying Amazon books to comfort myself. Yeah. I mean, I like, a lot of these books, especially at the top of the stack right now, are related to management and leadership and different insights in, in that. The stuff that I really love reading is uh, biographies and histories. There's this great book. I was just tweeting about this actually called Doing Capitalism in the Innovation Economy. And the author is a PhD economist from Cambridge slash turned investment banker, turned venture capitalist. So he's got a great perspective that's very academic and very real world. And his insights have been fantastic. It's kind of in the weeds from a professional standpoint, but to see how deals come together and how they fall apart and behind the scenes stuff, I always like that. I guess that sort of goes into punching above my weight classes. As a lawyer for my whole career, it's trying to read these stories from big deals and from people who've 
been in the trenches and places where I haven't been and learn how things work, just extract from that. So that's been great. Trying to work again through Atomic Habits, a fantastic book that I could learn a lot from and pick up some useful patterns in my life, which, you know, like I, I have little kids who just started back up in school. And so it's a lot of tumult in our schedule, changed pretty dramatically from the summer schedule to the back in school schedule. So trying to get back in, get some habits in place again. Dude. Yeah, man. Well, go you. We've talked about some, I know, books over the years that nobody would ever know of. So for people that are listening, it's like, okay, we've got somebody here who's diving into ideas and swirling around and swimming in them. When those ideas translate into how you show up to impact a community, how you show up to impact your clients, your customers, who for you do you enjoy serving the most? Like what from a dopamine standpoint lights you up? Yeah, I guess I just like working with entrepreneurs of all stripes. We're trying to, as a firm, stay in our lane with who we work with. And so we're really focused on digital first entrepreneurs and e-commerce brands and content creators are really our niche. And, but entrepreneurs of all stripes, I love working with people who are out there trying something new. Usually entrepreneurs are a little bit misfit and don't quite fit into the Fortune 500 mold. And unless they're building it and running it, they probably couldn't. A lot of them, I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs say this over the years. In fact, it's like I started a multi-billion dollar company, but I could never have done a job here. So I always think that's fascinating. It's sort of like the artistic side of the business world and it leads to a lot of fun it's a lot of challenges but the challenges to me are interesting and the people are interested in solving challenges more than trying to sweep them under the rug or paper them over with bureaucracy or whatever so that's great and just to see people take something from an idea to a real thing in the real world that's actually impacting people's lives is sensational i love being part of that yeah, it's so true to who you are. You're serving who you are because it's what you're doing with the firm. But it also takes me back when we first met, you were passionate about a salad delivery service because oh, you yeah. needed to get a fresh salad. <laughs> and I still remember that. It was awesome. It was awesome. That was well, great. Yeah. A blast from the past, I'm sure. <laughs> As you look at the world right now and the state of leadership and the challenges, just that even people that are trying to affect any kind of change and impact others are facing, if you could like broadcast an encouraging message to them, what do you think is something that they could hear that would be helpful or encouraging? Man, that's a tough question. My brain is going to something around persistence and just like, it's not easy and it's not meant to be easy, but if you keep at it, you are going to make progress, particularly if you can stay focused on something and and just work hard at it and intelligently at it. But key to that is understanding that it's going to be hard. Like, it's just going to be hard, right? But it's hard for everyone. There's no entrepreneur anywhere, no matter how easy they make it look or how successful they are, that it's not incredibly difficult. I mean, I feel like people look at Elon Musk and he's just doing all these crazy things that he was, you may have heard his quote. I think he actually ripped this from a friend of his, but he said, starting a company or a startup is like chewing glass and staring into the abyss. Like, yeah, even for a guy like that, with all of his resources and connections and so on, it's still, it can be hell, but it can be 
incredibly rewarding hell in a way that just punching the clock isn't necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I just, so in, especially for people who are wired to start things. Yeah, totally. It's so interesting to hear you say that because, and I appreciate that. You know, they we all need to be encouraging each other because, yeah, who said it would be easy, right? That's the question I've been asking myself lately. Who said this would be easy? And I think what's interesting to me, Mark, and I think without obviously divulging any private information, you can just give us a affirmation of this or go, no, that hasn't been my experience. But I know for me, I feel the same thing. A guy called yesterday, an entrepreneur, and he's like, man, I just feel like other people's stuff is together and I'm not getting ahead. And there's always a part of my business that's on fire, you know? And I'm like, dude, that's everybody. You know, I'm <laughs> yeah, not coaching 100%. from an ivory tower of what I did. I'm actively building an organization where we're seeking to train coaches in this whole thing. And so I'm like, that's true for me. Frank Herbert, the guy that wrote Dune has this saying, you know, when people try to pretend like everything's fine, real boats rock. Like the boat's on the water, it's gonna have waves, it's gonna rock. And so even things that I've gone to meet with like the CEO about coaching him and their team, work with them. I'm like, man, I got to have my stuff together because their stuff is together. And then I sit down with them and it's like, they're in motion too. So you've seen the same. Absolutely. Yeah. And it works sort of in a unique position as you are, where we were able to be in with clients in some of their more vulnerable moments yeah. where they're dealing with issues that they have no idea about. And to the outside world, it, it looks like they're an expert and they've got it all together because they're prominent or successful in one area or their business is doing fantastic overall but beneath the surface yeah things are the waves are roiling and and things are happening it's just you know i don't know that i've ever seen an entrepreneur who's not dealing with it i mean you may have a stretch of time where it feels like everything's really firing on all cylinders everything's clicking but that doesn't last very long it never does yeah, yeah. it always which is good because if it did then you'd be done that's, right, you just, you, all right, I'm done. I'm going to hang it up and I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, but I figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> nope, more problems to solve. They're bigger and better problems, hopefully, but continually more problems to solve. That's the activating part. Once that's not there, it's like, okay, this thing's out to pasture and it's going to die a slow death and I'm going to die with it if we're not tackling yep. the next challenge. And you know what? I, yeah. I think, if I could just add really quick to that, I think if you're an entrepreneur, if you're sort of entrepreneurial type person, if you found yourself in a situation like that where everything was just cozy and placid and great, you would find a way to break it on purpose or yeah. your subconscious would make you do it. You would break it just to have something new to fix and work on. Or you'd sell it and walk away if you can. And plenty do that. But when they do, they tend to start a new thing. But if your, your thing you've got is going great, you'd find a way to cause some disruption so that you can have something to, to solve. Dude. My first experience with coaching was hiring a coach at 25 and I'm of course 44 now, but I've just been as wild about advancing mission since very young age. But point of that is he told me this, he goes, Chris, you can fight fires and complain about it, but you're holding a smoldering match behind your back. You know, it's like you created this problem because you wanted to be activated, you know? And when I learned the difference between the fires I want to light the fires I want to fight and the fires I want to ignore. It was so powerful psychologically, but yeah, I had to learn that one the hard way. With you being so passionate about growing and developing and learning and getting better, was there any kind of light bulb moment in your past where like that switch clicked on and you're like, 
I want to be a person who gets better or a circumstance, or has it kind of always been there? I think it's always been there. So in your last podcast, you were talking with... Was it Ray? I think that was the one that we just went public. It was Ray, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was, just, I was just listening to that one. You're talking to Ray, and he was saying that he really liked about himself that he has a lot of range. And I really identified with what he was saying there. And that's always been... I've just been a very curious person. And I think that that kind of curiosity leads, particularly if you have like couple curiosity with action, it yeah. leads to this sort of drive for improvement of all things all the time because you're constantly seeing what other people are doing in different contexts. So whether it's reading a biography about what someone did 150 years ago or it's reading a business book about what companies are doing now in different industries and so on, or it's reading books about how to relate to your children or how to be a better person here and there in different ways. Like there's all of these areas for improvement. Everything can always be better. And I just, I think I've always identified with that. I haven't necessarily always lived it. And, you know, it's hard when you're in, let's say in school setting, where you're told what you have to do. You don't really have the free range to just go off and find the things you want to improve and work on those. But as I got out on my own and had more flexibility, I've really been leaning. I've leaned into that for quite some time now. Yeah, man. Wasn't that incredible when those confines come off and you're like, I love learning. I I love it. It wasn't me. Yeah, I had started a yeah. a, a business <laughs> in the ninth grade, a jewelry business. And, you know, you go through high school and you're just like, this sucks. And, you know, yeah, you get those confines off. Yeah. But you have that release try and do something that's like i was you know in school i was super into paintball for a while and like different things that i got into that were like all i thought about you know dating myself but playing doom on my computer growing oh, yeah. up and then i got this app where you could build i guess we called them software back then <laughs> right so i had this software that i got where you could build levels and i would just sit in class drawing levels that i was going to build when i got home so it was like just trying to create stuff think about it just build my own world as an escape. Totally. But yeah, it's nice to get out past high school or past college or past law school. You keep you know, glutton for punishment, I guess, but get out and then finally those confines fall off. Yeah. You, I, you know, I think this is a good place to put like a big neon sign for people because if you're trying to escape from the work or the mission, it doesn't mean we don't have hobbies that can make us whole or whatever and we enjoy ourselves, but if you're trying to escape from the work or the mission, there's a clue or a signal something needs to change. I've kind of been like on mission since about 18, something clicked for me then. But before that happened, my first semester of college, it hadn't clicked yet. All I wanted to do was play Frisbee golf. I played like 36 holes a day on the campus using campus <laughs> markers and would, you know, of course, destroyed too many uh, pieces of building or whatever. But yeah, we, we need that pursuit of mission. Incredible. I mean, that's great to be able to figure that out at 18 too. Yeah, obviously, a lot of people never figure it out, but for me, it took a long time, and I basically stumbled into entrepreneurship, and I, if I hadn't stumbled into it, if I had somehow landed in some cozy job that just, whatever, paid me well and didn't ask too much of me, I don't know, you know, maybe I would have broken it, as I was saying earlier, and just gotten myself out. Maybe that's how I got myself out in the first place, but I didn't really, at any rate, it didn't click until... I was out on my own. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, this is what I was after. Yeah. Well, I, run a thing, build a thing. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I think I would want to encourage people with, you know, even though for me at 18, I figured it out, I didn't figure out the context for it. 
That took another 12 years. And then it took another five years after that to get to where I was learning how to act on that context and doing what I'm doing now. So I think for a lot of us, if we going back to your persistence encouragement, like just keep at it. I took from your answer a second ago, but correct it if it's wrong. Or if I said to you, Mark, what's something you like about yourself the most? I heard the range piece there that you identify with what Ray said. That was awesome. Is there anything else that stands out that you're like, I like this about being me? Yeah. So range or maybe I'd call it curiosity and problem solving. That's sort of the areas mm. where I'm happy when I'm in those zones and I'm creating things. And then I guess something else that I would say, sort of, it's hard to say this without, or it's hard to say this clearly, but it's like the way that I at least intend to relate to other people, which is really has nothing to do with me. It's, it's a testament to my parents and how I was brought up. It's just like trying to treat people fairly, trying to recognize that it doesn't matter what a person's background is or what their current circumstances are for that matter. That like everyone is a valid human and worthy of independent respect and give it, should have the opportunity to flourish on their own terms to the fullest extent possible. And that the institutions we build, you know, in my case, it's a small law firm, but wherever you're at, the institutions we build should be, yes, they're built to serve clients or customers, but they should also be built to serve the people who work in them and allow for the growth of individuals in the firms and in the companies and so on. And that's regardless of your role in the company to have an opportunity to grow and not just be a cog in the machine. And like, that's just sort of, a, I'm, I'm wired that way at this point. I fully attribute that to my parents and the upbringing that they put me in. And I super appreciate that. It feels like the right way to work in the world. And when I see people working in other ways, which of course we see all the time, it just feels both toxic and counterproductive. And maybe a part of it is just the time that we live in where that mm -hmm. approach actually works very well right now. And maybe a hundred years ago, it wouldn't have worked. I don't know. But I guess I appreciate that if I was looking at myself outside and say, what do I like? It would be that sort of that mindset and that approach to other people, whether I live it fully or not, at least I appreciate the intention. Yeah, man. So beautifully articulated. Thank you. I love that. And that's like, for me, the, I mean, you're banging the drum there that I love to march to. The collective vision of the institution should be about the betterment of the individual. That's how you navigate this polarity or paradoxical tension of the, the we and the me. And it seems like we've gotten it completely backward <laughs> as we've seen yeah. some of our yeah. time-tested institutions start to lose their way. So love, love how you frame that. Well, for those that are listening to the podcast, I know that a number of our listeners are people that have been through SightShift and done the work, whether it was two years ago or, or 10 years ago or whatever. And I think with it being back in 2015, you know, there's, there's time that has passed, of course. What for you still lingers about the journey you invested in and you took yourself through when completing that work together? Yeah, so I meant to actually ask you about this ahead of time. I don't know how you changed and reframed things. But for me, one of the things, probably the main thing that sticks with me is just this concept of proving and hiding and constantly like thinking about what am I doing when I'm mm. avoiding something or I'm puffing up and like, you know, like I need to really just like 
power through something in a very public way, or I'm abdicating responsibility so I can get away from something. I'm just like trying to identify those instances when I'm behaving that way and own it, acknowledge it, and improve it, sort of override that instinct or look at the reasons for why why am I doing those things? Why am I just like advocating responsibility for a project, just handing it off and starting to run away? Or mm. why do I feel like I need to respond to every email with you know a thousand word treatise that's absolutely bulletproof or whatever, you know, like that <laughs> you know, for like that, yeah, I'm a lawyer. I need to be able to make sure that everything I say is bulletproof, but you know, maybe not. Maybe that's just hiding or proving or both. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, it is cyclical. It is. Dude, high five, man. I mean, that you're doing the work, you're staying aware, paying attention. And yeah, that is still the key idea that we're helping leaders get free of because the more that I go around the block with people, the more I see so much of what we think is, isn't leading or relating. It's proving and hiding. There's a guy who wrote a book called An Everyone Culture, Robert Keegan. He's done the longest studies on how adults develop and grow. Retired professor from Harvard and really fascinating work. I love his work because he puts stages to adult development. And he actually has the fifth stage is only 1% ever get there. And he talks about why we don't get there. And, you know, it was very validating for what we've seen in our wording and our phrasing because he opens up the book and he says this, everyone is doing a second job they're not getting paid for. Everywhere across the world in every industry, they are hiding their limitations, hiding their inadequacies, hiding their vulnerabilities, hiding. Of course, we would say proving and hiding because it has both manifestations. And so, yeah, man, way to keep doing the work. Well, for those listening that are like, man, that I got to hear more of what that guy says or does or wanted to work with you, where would you like to point folks that are listening to connect more? Yeah, so always happy to jump on a call or grab coffee or something if anyone's local here in Columbus. So I'm on Twitter at Mark Sansbury, M-A-R-K-S-E-A-N-S-B-U-R-Y. And our firm's website is sansburyweaver.com. So that's S-E-A-N-S-B-U-R-Y-W-E-A-V-E-R.com. And they can check us out there. Sorry, the website is in the process of being rebuilt by our friends over at the Wonder Jam and Zoco. Yeah. So we've got a new site coming here soon. Pretty excited about that. Yeah. But what we've got there has some information about what we're doing and ways to contact us or just email me, mark at sansburyweaver.com. Reach out, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Spoken like improver visionary. Like, okay, it's it, this version of the website. It'll be <laughs> great. And then we could do it again in a year. And you're like, hey, we got a new website coming out. Uh, I love it. That's yeah. Yeah. The, the, the trick is figure out when to stop rebuilding websites and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got to find different problems to work on. We got plenty of them. You know? Yes, for sure. For sure. Well, man, what a treat to have you on the show. Thank you for being here and uh, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. You know that self-leadership is difficult. And as you listened, if you found within yourself a desire for more awareness for yourself, your team, or your culture, or the people that you would guide as a coach, you can find more at SightShift.com. 
S-I-G-H-T shift.com to take the next step.